Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Sports Mall's Premier League Preview Podcast. I'm Pascal Amer and I'm here with Barney Corkill to look ahead to match day 16 in the top flight. Last weekend there were plenty of shocks, but one team not to fall to were league leaders Leicester, who sit too clear of Arsenal at the summit. The Foxes beat Swansea 3-0 at the Liberty Stadium in what proved to be Gary Monk's last game in charge, with the Welsh club perilously close to the bottom three after surprise wins for Bournemouth and Newcastle. There's loads to talk about this week then, and it was an action-packed midweek for the English teams in the Champions League, but we start at Carrow Road, where Norwich are up against Everton in Saturday's lunchtime kickoff. Barnes will start with the visitors. Last time out, it was an entertaining game on Monday night, but a one-all draw against Palace. Yeah, it was an entertaining game, but... Everton will probably look back on that as a real missed opportunity. A draw against Palace, it's not the worst result they'll have this season, but with the, the six teams above them, directly above them in the table, all drop points, Palace included, um, over the weekend. That was a real chance for Everton to, to give themselves a, a, a foot up in the European race. They would have climbed up to sixth in the table, above Palace with a the win there. Would have only been two points off Tottenham, five off fourth place Manchester United with that, so... It was a missed opportunity, and considering how they conceded the goal and the chances they created, they were, they would increase the hurt even more because they probably should have won that match in the end. The, the goal they conceded, Scott Dan, it was far too easy for him to get in from the edge of the area. He had three blue shirts around him, but none of them put in a real challenge. It was quite comfortable for him to shake off Gareth Barry and then just plant his header in. It was just far too easy. It was a really cheap goal, and Roberto Martinez would not have been happy with that. Then at the other end, obviously, Lukaku got the equaliser. It was a really good play from Delafello to set up the chance. Simple finish for Lukaku, but Lukaku, of course, always um, also hit the woodwork twice. So it could have been very different for Everton. They could have got a victory, which would have been a huge one considering the other results that weekend. In the end, a point is not the worst result. It was a good game. Palace had their chances as well. Peppered the Everton box with crosses throughout the game. So, as I mentioned, not the worst result, but they will see it as two points dropped and a missed opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And going back to the goal they conceded, I think certainly since they've obviously Jagielka not being there has been a massive blow for the club. But there's talk that he could be back uh, before the new year, which would be a, a massive boost to them because Funes Mori, he's, he's, he, I think he's done quite well next to Stones in there. But certainly in situations like that where you've got a leader, very experienced player like uh, Jagielka, they certainly miss him. You know, just from like marshalling corners and things like that. So it was a blow, but. At the other end, like you say, Lukaku, another goal for him. That's 9-9 nine in, nine in the Premier League. Now he's got 11 all season, which is the second best in the league behind uh, Vardy's 14. So he's been excellent form for the Blues recently. It's 50 goals now uh, for the club in 100 appearances, exactly 1-2. in two, And that's a target he actually set himself. He's always wanted to score or go at a rate of 1-2. in two. Uh, I think it was, it was at the age of 16 he said that once he realised that he was going to probably make it in a professional game, you know, he, he said, right, I'm going to try and set myself a 1-2 in two target. And for him to do that in the Premier League for a team like Everton, it's a fantastic achievement. And like you say, he was very unlucky as well with some of those shots. I mean, the second one, especially that hit the woodwork, it was a tremendous effort. First time, off, crashed off the underside of the bar. Very, very unlucky. Um, but on the whole for Everton, it leaves them unbeaten in seven in all competitions. So they're not losing games at the moment. I think they, they have looked pretty good recently, but... Like you said, it was it certainly was a missed opportunity, and if they if they really fancy themselves being a top six side this season, you know those are the sort of games they have to win because you know because it was the last game of the weekend. They they knew that all those other teams above them had already dropped those points, and certainly the the incentive was there to go and win it and really climb up the table, but they couldn't quite do it. 
Yeah, on the plus side so far this season, they've they've set themselves out as a very tough team to beat. The only teams to have beaten them so far this season have been three of the top four in Man City, Man United and Arsenal. They actually face Leicester, who's the other side in the top four next weekend at Goodison. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on there. But they are a tough team to beat. The biggest problem for them really has been the, the amount of games they've drawn. They've drawn seven of their 15 games so far this season and only won five You'd have to look at the defensive record as perhaps a reason behind that. Only West Ham have conceded more outside the bottom seven of the table. And then at the other end of the pitch, only Leicester and Man City have actually scored more. So there's obviously they need to perhaps get the balance of the team right. They've got goals in there, but they need to stop shipping them at the other end. And as you mentioned, Jagielka may be a big reason behind that and will be a big plus when he comes back into the side. But if they can turn some of those draws into victories, then they certainly will be pushing for European places. At home, um, away from home, sorry, so far this season, they've drawn four of their uh, seven games so far. Only one defeat at Arsenal, and, um, as we know, the Emirates is a very tough place to go for any team in the league, but also only two wins away from home so far in the league this season. So if they can start turning some of those draws into victories, then they'll certainly start pushing up the table. Yeah, definitely. I think Norwich is certainly a side that they'll fancy their chances against Norwich. They're still 16th, didn't drop any places last weekend, but only goal difference keeping them out. Uh, of the bottom three now they lost 2-0 against Watford there and we know Watford have been very very impressive so far this season uh, certainly the best of the three promoted teams but I think Norwich to go to Watford it's a team obviously they know from last season they know them quite well from having to play them in the championship I think Alex Neal would have maybe fancied getting something there but it was uh, Dini and Agallo again who proved the difference the first goal just sort of gave the ball away didn't they Norwich and uh, Agallo got put through on goal and Brought down in the box, silly challenge, and Deeney, you know, man on form at the moment, he stuck away the penalty, and it was it was quite a close game for the rest of it. We know that Watford, you know, they tend not to really blow teams away at home. Once they got that one goal lead, Watford, they defended quite well, and then obviously got the late goal through Igalo uh, to seal the win there. And that's for Norwich. That's only one win in ten Premier League games now, and, and that victory was just against Swansea, just with just one nil at home. We know that Swansea have obviously had loads of struggles recently themselves, and. They've lost six of those ten games. It's not that Norwich's form hasn't been great in recent weeks, and like I said, only goal difference keeping them out of the bottom three now. So you know they could certainly drop in very soon. Yeah, and with teams around there towards the bottom of the table, you've always got to look at the home form because that is where you pick up the bulk of your points, and it's where you expect to, if you're going to stay up, is where you expect to to, to uh, start the drive that will keep you in the division. Norwich so far this season haven't been entirely convincing at home. They've had one or two decent results. They've beaten Bournemouth, beaten Swansea, drew with Arsenal last time out, which will give them confidence that they can certainly get something out of this one this weekend. But only Bournemouth and Aston Villa have picked up fewer points at home this season than Norwich's eight. Um, as I mentioned, seven of those have come in the last five games, so there is a bit of an a bit of an improvement. They're unbeaten in the last two at home, but they still need to get a bit more consistency. It is only two wins in the last ten Premier League home games stretching back to their last spell in the in the top flight so they do need to improve in that sense and uh, up front as well they need to improve they've only scored three goals in the last six Premier League games and you know when they've got they've got a decent defensive record nothing special but when you're scoring that few goals you're not going to pick up enough points to really get yourselves away from danger and they've got a tough end of the year as well top Manchester United and Tottenham both away after this one which is another tough match do finish the year at home to Aston Villa which you know, the the look at as a potential three points. Villa really struggling at the bottom of the table as we know so far this season. So they'll look at that as a, a morale booster towards the end of the year. But these next three games are going to be really tough for them to pick up any points from. 
Yeah, they are, but their head-to-head record against Everton isn't too bad. They've only been beaten once uh, by the Toffees in seven Premier League meetings at Carrow Road, so they tend to do well against them at home. And They've already played Everton this season in the League Cup, and they lost. I mean, they did lose, but it was only on penalties at Goodison Park after one all draw. So I think they, they might take some heart from that, but which way do you see it go? Yeah, I'm going to back Everton here. I think they're, they're in really good form. Lukaku's in really good form. Barkley, Delafello, all, all those players, the, the key players, are in good form at the moment for Everton. So I can see them running out 2-0 winners here. Yeah, I, I fancy the Toffees as well. I think the way they're going at the moment, the form Lukaku's been in, Barkley, Delafeu, they've all been playing really well at the moment. And uh, yeah, I'm going to back them to win by two goals, but 3-1 three, uh, the scoreline. So we're both picking Everton to win this one fairly comfortably. OK, on to the 3pm kickoffs on the Saturday, and we'll start at Selhurst Park, where Crystal Palace hosts Southampton. Pascal will start with the home side. They got a one-all draw against Everton on Monday night. Yeah, that's a decent point for them, I think, and it took them back up to sixth there in the table. So they're very handily placed, although... When you look at the table, where Palace are now and the team they face here, Southampton in 12th, there's only two points separating those teams. So there could be plenty of change this weekend. But the result itself, I think Alan Pardew certainly would have taken a point beforehand. Everton been looking really good in recent weeks, especially at home. You know, they put four, four past Villa, six past Sunderland at Goodison in the last month or so. So for Palace to only concede one there is a decent result. Um, but in the sense that, you know, they did take the lead through Scott Dan, you know, from a corner. You know, I think Everton would be very unhappy the way they conceded it. But... You know, it's decent delivery, and Dan stuck it away. And you know, they've scored forty-five percent of their goals from set pieces this season. That's more than any other team in the league. So they're obviously doing a lot of work on the training ground there. And once they've taken the lead, they couldn't hold on to it. Um, Lukaku tapping in from close range, and you have to say, when you look at the rest of the game, uh, Everton feel they deserved at least a point. They hit the woodwork three times, uh, twice from Lukaku, and then uh, Connor Wickham's inadvertent header that it looked like it was going in all the way, and then off the off the underside of the bar, and somehow just went away from goal. But it was a decent point, like I said, took them back up to sixth, and I think Pardew would be a little annoyed the way you know the way they couldn't hold on, but certainly to go to Goodison the way Everton had been playing, get a point, it was a good result. Yeah, it was a good result, and it's now one defeat in five for them, so they're, they're in some decent form. After a bit of a, a down spell in October, they lost three on the bounce in all competitions there, but since then they've had, they've had actually a very tough run of fixtures. They've had Manchester United, Liverpool, Everton in that time, but they haven't lost to any of them. The only game they've lost in the last five meetings was arguably the easiest of the lot at home to Sunderland so and that was certainly a blip more than anything else because you look at the other teams that have beaten them so far this season no one outside the top seven apart from Sunderland have beaten Palace so far this season so that was a blip for them and it was a disappointing result but on the whole they've certainly bounced back well from those three defeats obviously there was the 5-1 win against Newcastle as well and as you mentioned a, a decent point against Everton at Goodison Park on Monday night so Things are looking good. As, as I mentioned, they sort of dropped down the table a bit, but now back up to sixth, which is a good position at this stage of the season for a team like Palace. They are now going for back-to-back home league wins at Selhurst Park for only the second time since April 2014. We've, we've spoken so much about their away form. That home form still does need improving. If they can start to string a bit of consistency at home in front of their own fans as well, then there's no reason they can't stay in amongst these teams at, towards the top end of the table. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see what they do in January, I think. Certainly, a striker seems to be the one that uh, Pardew wants. You know, Connor Wickham came in in the summer. He, he he did okay on Monday night. You know, he led the line quite well. He did his, his hold up play was actually really good in the game. He he did didn't take the one really good opportunity that came his way. It was a, he connected well uh, from the cross, but it was straight at Tim Howard. It kind of just hit him. He didn't know too much about it, and he seems to have done okay there. But Connor Wickham doesn't look quite good enough really. If Palace really want to become sort of a you know a regular team that finishes in the top half, and they've been linked with a 15 million move for a Marseille striker and. Obviously, we don't know how we don't know too much about him, how well he'll do. But certainly, that you know, they're 
strikers really haven't done quite enough this season. In, in, I mean, in a lot of games, Pardew hasn't even started with a striker. He's gone with, you know, Punch and uh, Sacco, Balassi and Zahar, all four of those, you know, playing sort of that, one of them playing in that false nine position, just sort of running, getting the defenders tired. But certainly their scoring record with strikes hasn't been great. And if you look at their recent record against Southampton as well, they failed to score in six of their last seven league games against them. So that's something that needs to change. But interesting to see if Wickham starts again, because I thought he actually had quite a good game on Monday night. Um, but in terms of goals, which is what he obviously needs to do as a striker, he hasn't really done enough this season. Yeah, but he might fancy his chances up against the Southampton team, team who are struggling a bit themselves at the moment. There's no win in four now. Um, on last Saturday, they drew one all with Aston Villa, only Aston Villa's sixth point of the season. So that at home as well, that's a really disappointing result for Southampton, that one. They conceded a pretty soft goal. It's far too easy for Lescott. The corner came in, dropped into an area. Should have been clear before that, and it was a pretty simple finish for Lescott in the end. And then Romeo obviously got his first goal for the club. Pretty similar, almost exactly the same position. You had to battle a bit harder to get it in, but... It's certainly two drop points against Villa, considering how poor Villa have been so far this season. And it's another poor result in the string of ones. You had the 6-1 thumping at home to Liverpool uh, in the League Cup just a few days before that as well, which would have really hit the confidence in the team. And before that, it was a 3-1 loss to Manchester City, a 1-0 loss to Stoke at home before that. So they only got one point from the last three um, home games in all competitions, which is... It's a poor record, really. They need to they need to find something. But as I mentioned, 12th does... 12th does look pretty bad for Southampton at this stage of the season. You'd expect them to be higher, but they are just the one win away from 6th place. Only two points separate those uh, these two teams in the table. So it's not quite as bad as the table suggests, but they certainly will want to get back to winning ways sooner rather than later. Yeah, definitely. And they need to with the sort of fixtures coming up. We said that Palace, you know, they played pretty well on Monday night. And then after, after the trip to Palace, they got home games against Spurs and Arsenal. And like you said... Their home form recently just simply hasn't been good enough and with you know teams like, like Spurs and Arsenal coming uh, to St Mary's soon they've got to sort that out because otherwise they, they could certainly you know not climb up to sixth they might even become more cemented in the bottom half which for a team that was you know very very close to finishing fifth last season it's been a bit of a drop off this season we've seen obviously Swansea have a massive drop off and even though Southampton aren't quite that bad they need to sort out their home form especially uh, if they are going to sort of get back into the top half away from home they've actually been you know, pretty good of late. They've only lost one of their last seven uh, Premier League away games, but that was last time out. You mentioned it, uh, that 3-1 defeat against City. So away from home, been decent, but the home form is what's really ought to improve uh, if they want to sort of climb back up towards the top seven. Yeah, and they've got a very good record against Palace. They've won seven in a row against them in, in, the, in the league, and Palace have never won in 13 top flight matches against Southampton. So which way do you see this one going? I think this could be a really cagey game. I think with sort of, I think Palace they'll be wary about. You know, they haven't won too many. You know, they don't tend to win a lot of home games in a row, like you mentioned earlier. And I think Southampton, they, they're they're a team that look a bit devoid of confidence at the moment. And I think this could be a very cagey game. And I'm going to go for a nil-nil draw. Yeah, I'm not really sure. You could you see cagey very often from Palace. I can see goals in it, not too many. But I, I'm also going to agree with the draw. So I'm going to go for one all. So we're both going for draws in this one. Right. Next, we go to the Etihad for Man City against Swansea. Barnes obviously only one place to start here and that's with Swansea second Gary Monk yeah huge news for the club and for me it is quite harsh I said a few weeks ago that I thought he'd earned the right to have a bit bit more time than perhaps usual because the job he did last season was sensational guiding them to their, their best ever uh, finish in the Premier League it was a really good job from him and obviously they started this season pretty well as well but it's all gone wrong since then only one win in 11 Premier League games and that was against bottom club Aston Villa as well so you can certainly see Hugh Jenkins the chairman the decision why he made that to to sack him but for me I think it was a little harsh I would have given him a, a bit longer because I think he had earned that 
you look at the the favourites to replace him as well Poirier seems to be odds on with most of them which I think would be quite a strange choice considering his track record is he going to do a better job than Monk and Monk has done you know Monk did prove himself last season I think this is a, a pretty poor patch for the club as well um, and obviously Monk is responsible for that and he's taken full responsibility for it the whole way through but considering he had been been at the club for so long as a player as well I think it was harsh I think some of the other name, uh, names in the running to take over would perhaps be better options if they can get them the likes of David Moyes uh, Brendan Rodgers I think has ruled himself out so um, it's unlikely he'll get it but it would be interesting to see him go back there he did a fantastic job there in his first spell Mark Warburton is one of the most sought after managers at, at the moment every time a, a vacancy comes up he's, his name is in the running but he looks pretty committed to the cause up to Rangers and then Dennis Burkamp is in the running as well so, uh, which would be a very interesting appointment so there are some some good names there for Swansea if they want to um, get a high profile manager to get him but Gus Poirier seems to be the favourite which would be an interesting one but whoever takes over they've got to they, they need to turn things around sooner rather than later obviously that Monk's last game in the end was that 3-0 defeat at the hands of Leicester and the first half performance in that match especially was really poor from Swansea it, it, it seemed like there was an air of the inevitable hanging over it that Monk might be gone after that game they did improve in the second half to be fair to them undone in the end by Amara's Hatchick and Leicester as we know have been fantastic this season so there's no shame in losing to them but I think it was the manner of the first half performance especially which which um, resulted in the decision to sack Monk in the end yeah, and I mean three 0 You said that you know they did improve there, but I mean all the talk obviously was still about Vardy if he could set a new record for consecutive scoring, and you know they did give him a couple of really good chances. There was one in the first half especially where he just went clean through on goal, and he would have backed him to score the way he's been finishing recently. And you know, he, I mean the first Morris's first two goals, both of them very contentious, and you could say that when you know your luck's down, you know it's down, but even then still to lose 3-0 like that it, it, very disappointing and it's not scoring isn't it that's been the big the big reason for their downfall you know no goals in seven of their last in, in that sort of really bad run they've had the 11 Premier League games they failed to score in seven of those including four of the last five that's the main reason for it we've talked many many times about whether Gomez is good enough obviously Ed Eyre he's still yet to score for the club and only four people have scored for Swansea this season, which is the joint fewest with Watford and Stoke. So it's simply not been good enough. And you look at where it leaves them in the table now, 15th in the table, only one point above the relegation zone. Uh, because, you, you know, last weekend you saw Bournemouth and Newcastle both wins. They're even closer uh, to dropping into the bottom three now. And it just really hasn't been good enough. You know, look at the overall record, their goals this season. Only Villa and Stoke with 13 have scored fewer than Swansea. And Swansea haven't been good enough defensively this season. That's the main reason they've dropped down the table. And, Given the run they're on, you can see why Monk was gone, uh, why Monk was sacked. But like you say, you feel that he'd certainly earned more time. He did such a good job last season. And when you see Poirier odds on with most of the bookmakers, you've got to wonder why. I mean, Gus Poirier's hardly, you know, giving himself a great CV with what he's done in the Premier League. So how is he going to do better than what Gary Monk's done if they go for Poirier, that is? But interesting times at the club but things certainly need to change soon because as it stands, they look one of the look like one of the teams who might be, you know, in a relegation fight this season. Yeah, um, whoever comes in, it's unlikely that they'll be in the dugout, that Swansea will have any new manager in the dugout for this match, but if they are, it's about as difficult a start as they could hope for, because Man City at home have been fantastic so far this season. They are coming into this off the back of a poor um, last league result, losing 2-0 at Stoke. You have to give full credit to Stoke for that performance, it was a fantastic performance. 
probably the best I've ever seen Stoke play. It was really the likes of Shakiri, Arnautovic. They just ran City ragged, and it was interesting formation from Stoke, pretty similar to the one Liverpool played against Manchester City when Liverpool won four one quite recently at the Etihad as well. So you wonder if teams are starting to look at that blueprint now and maybe figure Man City out a bit. But City, for their part, it was a pretty poor performance from them as well. So a really disappointing result, and it could have been more than the two 0 Arnautovic could have had a few chances to wrap up his hat trick. Probably should have. Probably even should have got another one on top of that as well so it was a really disappointing performance from City but in the end they're probably fairly fortunate just that it was only 2-0 Yeah and it dropped them down third in the table so that was disappointing as well but in midweek they certainly bounced back but you know they needed some late goals to beat uh, Gladbach 4-2 in the Champions League and with uh, Juventus losing against Sevilla it meant they finished top of their group which is absolutely huge for the club we know that you know, in recent years, sometimes they've struggled to get out of the group in Europe, and if they have got through, they've then got a really tough draw. But this time, you know, they're going to be one of the top seeds for the last 16 draw, which means they avoid the likes of Barcelona, Bayern, Real Madrid. And in terms of who they could face in the next days, PSG is, is the one danger draw uh, because they finished second to Real in their group. The other teams they could face, you know, you certainly would expect them to beat maybe the likes of PSV, Benfica. Uh, Roma, Dinamo Kiev and Ghent you know they're all teams that you know they, they'd be happy to draw I think but you know if they get PSG uh, you'd certainly feel for them it's, it would be a really really tough draw if they got PSG but for them to come through like they did late on there you know they, it was 2-1 uh, I think it was in the 79th minute when Sterling uh, pulled it back to 2-2 then Healer made it 3-2 Bonnie making it 4-2 uh, big win for the club because in the first half I mean Munch and Gladbach they've been on a great run themselves I think they were unbeaten in 12 going into that game uh, the German side and in the first half I think they had 63% possession uh, at the Etihad which is a staggeringly high figure considering you'd expect City to be able to dominate the ball in a game like that and they fell behind uh, it was 2-1 at the break after Silva uh, I mean Silva's goal the, the goal that he scored in the first half was a fantastic finish he's he's looked really bright Silva since he made his return the last couple of weeks that's been a positive for them and the fact they did manage to finish top of their group uh, a real plus and yeah I mean if they avoid PSG and get one of the other teams they might fancy going quite far in Europe this season yeah, and it'll be a rare treat for them this week because they've got a long rest before their next game after this one. Having Obviously, Europe doesn't resume again until the new year, so they'll have nine days rest before a huge game against Arsenal next Monday. And uh, one thing I forgot to mention with the Stoke result was it was a missed opportunity for a lot of teams around them dropping points as well. Arsenal and Leicester obviously uh, got victories, but the others, the likes of Manchester United, Tottenham, even Liverpool have been mentioned as dark horses for the title they all drop points so it was a big opportunity for them to steal a march on some of those teams they do have the chance to claw some of those points back at, uh, at the likes of Leicester and Arsenal before the new year they've got Arsenal as I mentioned away from home on Monday the 21st just before Christmas their last game before Christmas and then Leicester in their last game of 2015 also away from home their home form this season has been superb they won 13 of their last 15 Premier League home games they got the best home record in the division this season and they'll fancy a chance of finishing the season with maximum points at home they've got Swansea obviously here and then Sunderland in their next home game as well so they'll fancy their points six um, fancy their chances sorry, of six points out of six at home it's just those two big away games before the end of the year which could determine whether they start 2016 top of the table yeah, so plenty of the talk will be about Swansea coming into this, the fact they've sacked Monk, but City will start as big favourites. And do you see them winning it? I do see them winning it. Teams do sometimes get a boost when they get a new manager in, but Swansea, they won't have they won't have a new manager by then. So I can see City winning out pretty comfortable winner. Say I'm going to go for three 0 Three 0 Yeah, I think certainly you have to fancy City here. The way Swansea are going, like you said, that uh, new manager, if he if he has been appointed, he'll probably be sitting in the stands for this one. So. 
yeah, I mean the way the way City finished the game, I think against uh, Gladbach uh, on on Tuesday is a big plus for them. They really finished, you know, obviously three goals in the last ten minutes there. So I think they'll take a lot of confidence from that. Finishing top of the group was massive for them as well. So I think there'll be a lot of confidence there. I don't see it being quite that comfortable, but I'm going to back City to win this one two 0 So both see Man City winning this one. Okay, up to the Stadium of Light now. A Sunderland host Watford. Pascal will start with the home side, beaten three one at Arsenal last time out, and they've since drawn the Gunners in the third round of the FA Cup. Yeah, not a good draw for them, and it wasn't a good result last weekend, losing 3-1. You know, they went into that game after back-to-back wins, but even then, you know, not many people would have picked them to beat Arsenal at the Emirates. And to be honest, you know, it, Arsenal probably did just deserve to win it because they did create a lot of chances. But Sunderland, you know, had, they had their moments themselves very early on. Uh, Watmore put Barini through on goal, and it was a really good chance for him. Just one-on-one with Petr Cech, he couldn't beat him, so that was an early chance gone. And then Arsenal take the lead through Joel Campbell. And you know, you thought maybe then Sunderland might their heads might drop, but they didn't. You know, they got well, they got gifted the equaliser, didn't they? Um, it was in Vila's free kick, good delivery into the box, but Giroud, you know, he didn't deal with it well at all, slicing it into his own net. And then he since then uh, made up for his error with uh, by putting Arsenal two one in front. But then at two one, uh, it was Van Aanholt who had a great chance, came to him at the back post, and he, I think from that, from there, if he just got it on target, he was quite close to the goal. And if he just got it on target, it might have gone in, but he blazed it over, and then uh, Ramsey getting the late goal to make it three one. So it was a disappointing result. But considering you know six points in the last three games, it's still a decent return. Although they're still down in nineteenth there. Yeah, and as you mentioned, many people would have been expecting them to lose to Arsenal, but it would have been doubly disappointing as Bournemouth and Newcastle, two teams around them in the table, both picked up unexpected results of their own, which dropped them down to nineteenth. They're still only one point from safety, but it's still a pretty precarious position of their they've got there. They'll be confident at home of getting back to winning ways because they have improved under Allardyce at home. Overall, their record, only Bournemouth and Aston Villa have picked up fewer points in front of their own fans so far this season. But six of those eight points they have won have been in the last three games under Sam Allardyce. They've won two of their three home games since he took over and they've only conceded one goal in that time as well. So it's been a vast improvement. They've actually only conceded eight goals at home all season, which is fewer than the likes of Man City, Leicester, Everton, Southampton, Liverpool, Palace and West Ham and Chelsea as well. And you've got six of the top nine in there. So while their defensive record throughout the season has been probably their biggest downfall so far. At home, they have been a lot better, a lot sturdier um, at the back, and that's certainly improving under Allardyce as we expected it to. Yeah, and I think one one of the problems defensively, I mean, defensively you mentioned that, but if you look at the stats for the whole season, they've actually allowed more shots on target than any other Premier League team this season. And with Dini and Agallo, you know, two informed players coming, coming into town, it's going to be a really tough ask for them. And the next four games as well, you look at it, Watford at home, Chelsea away, City away, then Liverpool at home. We know Watford are in good form and you know, they've got to go to Stamford Bridge and the Etihad and then they finish the year uh, with a visit from Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool who generally have been better away than they have at home. So I think it's really hard to see them escaping the bottom three anytime soon. One positive going into it, they are unbeaten in six league games against Watford. Um, I'm not sure how much of that you can take. I mean, the things you were saying about improving at home under Allardyce, you know, they, they have certainly done better, but yeah, like you mentioned, it was a... A big blow last weekend to see Bournemouth and Newcastle, you know, winning against Chelsea and Liverpool because they would have expected, you know, if they were going to lose at Arsenal, they certainly would have expected those two to lose as well. Yeah, and they're coming up against the Watford side you mentioned in good form at the moment, two 0 win over Norwich last weekend. Another goal for Dini, another goal for Ricardo. It took Dini a while to get going now, but that's five and six and four games in a row Dini has scored in this season. So he's really up and running now. He's He's leading the team as we expected him to. It took him a bit longer to get firing than we expected him to, but he really is going now and he's ably assisted by Agarlo, who's been fantastic in this calendar year so far. So they're up into the top half now, which is a really good achievement for the newly promoted side. By far the best of those um, three sides who came up last season. 
if things are going to get tougher for them from here on in they've had a nice spell of three fixtures they've had Aston Villa Norwich and Sunderland all teams struggling around towards the bottom of the table um, after this weekend that does come to an end they've got Liverpool Chelsea Tottenham Man City and then Southampton in the five games after that so things are going to get tougher for them but sitting up in 10th in the table they're certainly going better than many might have expected at this stage of the season yeah, and just looking at some of the stats for Dini and Agallo, they're just doing absolutely fantastically. It's four games in a row for Dini, like you said, he's the first Watford player to do that in the Premier League era. And if he scores in this game as well, become the first Watford player ever to score in five straight uh, top division matches. And that's So he's found his feet, and then Igalo's been the more consistent one throughout the season. He's got nine goals, two assists, so he's direct, been directly involved in 11 goals in 15 appearances, which is more than any Watford player has ever been involved in in the Premier League ever before. So, I mean, that stat is tremendous. And then you look at... Their, their record, the two of them uh, in 2015, if you include the championship last season as well, between them they've scored 42 goals uh, in 2015, which is 10 more than Sunderland as a whole team in the calendar year. So, you know, it reads really well for Watford what those two are doing. And, you know, they've been fairly solid defensively. Another clean sheet uh, against Norwich last weekend. So, with the defence looking solid, you know, midfield, they're just doing their job in there and they're just sort of leaving it to Dini and Igalo to score the goals. And the way they're going, you can't see them stopping scoring anytime soon. So, do you fancy them netting here? Uh, I think one of them certainly will. I think it'll be a difficult game. Uh, I think Sunderland, you know, they created chances against Arsenal, which was a good achievement last week. It didn't get the win, but generally the last few weeks they have looked better, uh, like you were talking about earlier. And uh, I'm going to go for one or draw here. Yeah, I agree with the draw. I know Dini and Nicolo are in good form, but I can't see any goals in this one, to be honest. Sunderland have generally been tighter, as I mentioned, at home under Allardyce, a lot better defensively. So I think I'm going to go for a nil-nil one here. So neither of us two can separate these two teams. Okie doke to Upton Park where West Ham face Stoke City. Barnes will start with the visitors. Really impressive performance by beating City 2-0 last weekend. Yeah, they were fantastic in that game. It was arguably the best Stoke performance since they've come up to the Premier League. They just they went they were all over City for long parts of the game. They started really sharply, went 2-0 up inside, 15 minutes, two goals for Arnautovic, and it could have been more for them. Perhaps should have been more for them. Arnautovic himself had a few more chances, but the way he linked up with Shakiri in particular, but with Bojan as well, with Afale as well, City just couldn't deal with them. And it was a, it was a similar tactic employed by Mark Hughes, the one Liverpool played against Man City a few weeks ago when they won 4-1. So you wonder if he just looked at that and saw City struggle to cope with that sort of movement, the false nine, no real target man up front for Stoke. And he went with that and it, it worked. It paid dividends. It was a fantastic performance, particularly from Arnautovic. As I mentioned, he, he could have had more goals. He could have had three or four, but... Two goals, takes him up to five for the season in 14 appearances. That's the same amount as he got in the last two previous seasons combined. So he's in he's in fine form so far. And he's he scored in two, his, both of his previous Premier League games against West Ham United as well. So he'll be confident of continuing that good form this weekend. But as I say, it was a fantastic performance for Stoke against Man City. They'll be absolutely flying after that. It was a, a brilliant display and certainly perhaps a, an, an indication that they can look into certainly a top half finish and maybe a couple of places above that yeah but even with those two goals they've still only actually got 13 uh, in their 15 Premier League games this season that's the joint fewest with Villa who are obviously bottom so that was a fantastic display but over the whole season they haven't really scored enough goals I mean they, they probably need more from say Shakiri because he's still yet to I mean he, his two assists in that game were fantastic but he's still yet to get off the mark in a Stoke shirt and when you look at the actual chance conversion rate they've only con- converted 10.6% of their chance which is the lowest in the league so that really hasn't been good enough. They need, you know, the likes of maybe John Walters to do a bit more. Bojan, he's had his moments here and there, but he's not maybe scoring quite enough goals at a, a regular rate. And when you look at, you know, their away form as well, you know, they've only scored in six of their last ten Premier League away games. So 
if if they really want to push for maybe a sort of maybe even a top seven place like you were just saying there, that needs to change. They need to score a few more goals away from home because they they really did play superbly against City there, and it was one of certainly one of the windiest Premier League games I can remember. The corner flags they're almost you know coming out of their spots there. It was so so windy there in the Potteries, and they they dealt so much better with it uh, than City did. But uh, you know that's that's one game. You know the conditions. You know, City did struggle there, but the conditions aren't going to be like that every weekend, and they need to just, just you know, try and find that sort of form on a more regular basis if they are going to push, you know, up towards the top seven, like you said. Yeah, and if they can do that, then I think the goals will come because, as I say, they created so many chances at the other end as well. One of the most pleasing things will be that they remain solid. Uh, another clean sheet for them. The six in the last eight Premier League games now, which is a fantastic record, really. Mark Hughes has done a really good job. And only Manchester United, Tottenham and Arsenal have conceded fewer in the league this season. So they're right up there with the big boys um, in terms of defensive records. Shawcross, since he came back, he obviously missed the start of the season. Stoke haven't actually conceded while he's been on the uh, on the pitch in the Premier League this season. 407 minutes he's been on the pitch for this season and they haven't conceded. He was obviously sent off just after half-time against Sunderland recently and then Sunderland scored their two goals, which is the only time Stoke have conceded in the last few games. So, yeah, fantastic um, defensive record they've got this season. And obviously that's been led by Shawcross. It's been huge for them to have him back from injury. Yeah, it has been, yeah. And they come up against a side here in West Ham who also kept a clean sheet last week in a weekend. A very impressive one. You know, Manchester United, you know, we know they've been labelled with, you know, the boring tag this season. Van Gaal, they've had a lot of uh, nil-nil results. But West Ham, you know, that's a very good result for them to go there. I mean, they've got a lot of injury problems, which we'll talk about, but... You know, they they could have easily won that game, West Ham. In the first half, they hit the post twice. One was very lucky in the sense that Chris Smalling just kind of hit it into Lanzini's, uh, sorry, Zarate's face, and uh, it just went up against the upright. Um, but the other one from a corner, Winston Reid, uh, he headed against the. It really, it was a great header. Directed it low towards the corner. It's very, very unfortunate to see it hit the bottom of the post. And Reid himself in the first half, at the other end, he made two really excellent blocks. And the whole game, he was very, very good. Uh, the man of the match in that game. Um, and you know, in the first half, they were unlucky in the sense that Schweinsteiger he escaped uh, on-field punishment. He, he, he jabbed his forearm uh, into the throat of a, I think it was uh, Winston Reid. Uh, Clattenburg didn't see, it, didn't file it in his post-match report, and Schweinsteiger has since been charged by the FA. And obviously, if Clattenburg sees that, Schweinsteiger sees red. You know, West Ham might be able to go on and get the win. You know, they, they did have to survive a bit of a late rally from United. You know, when uh, Memphis came on, he he really changed the game for them, but. On the whole, West Ham certainly deserved a point, and they they definitely went closest out of the two teams with those uh, two chances to hit the post. Yeah, and obviously you mentioned Reed's fantastic performance there. The big blow for West Ham this week though came when he was injured in tra- injured in training. It looks like he's going to be out for a month and a half, six weeks or so, which is is a huge blow because he joins a number of really key players in the on the treatment table for West Ham. They'll be without him, they'll be without Sacco, Payet, who as we know has been probably their standout player this season. Lanzini was finding a bit of form, Valencia and Moses also went off injured in that United game and he's out for at least a month as well. So they've got some really key players missing at the moment, which is a big blow to Slavon Bilic. The only positive perhaps is that Valencia is close to a return and Lanzini might be back next week as well. Perhaps both back next week, which would be a positive, so they're not... Valencia's been out for a while but Lanzini's isn't a too too serious of an injury but the others that's that's three or four of their really key players so far this season so that is a blow but you you look at their fixtures while those players are going to be sidelined and they're fairly kind after after this one which is certainly not an easy game the way Stoke are playing at the moment they've got Swansea who are we know are in terrible form only one win in 11 games for them 
managerless at the moment. Aston Villa, bottom of the table. They've got both of those games away from home. They'd expect something from those games, even with the injury list. For Southampton at home, and Southampton themselves aren't in the, the best of form at the moment. So the fixtures could have been harsher for them with this injury list, but it's still going to be a tough ask for them to overcome it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, their home form West Ham has been pretty good. They're unbeaten in five and... I mean, they've only won two of their last eight uh, Premier League home games, but in, in recent times they've drawn three, won two of their last five. So they've been fairly solid at home. And this, this is going to be a big ask for them against a Stoke team who will be flying uh, after that result against City last week. Which way do you see it going? Yeah, it's a tricky one to call, isn't it? The form book suggests Stoke will win this one. West Ham without a win in five and Stoke have won four of their last five. So Stoke will fancy their chances of coming away with all three points. But I'm struggling to separate them, to be honest. West Ham, they can be... They can look like world beaters on some days, while Stoke look like world beaters against City. So I think I'm going to call this one down the middle and go for one all. Yeah, I think the draw, probably the most likely result. I mean, West Ham, they actually did really well at Old Trafford and Stoke. We, you know, as we know, did fantastically against the other Manchester club. But I think the momentum is more with Stoke. I think West Ham, those injuries, I think the Reed injury is absolutely huge for them. And losing Moses as well. It's a chance, with Moses out, it's a real big chance for Mikel Antonio to step up because he... Since he signed in the summer, he hasn't really been given much of a chance. I think when he came on at Old Trafford for Moses, that was just his third Premier League appearance. And if he can grab this chance, that that would be really good for West Ham. But I think the momentum is more with Stoke, and I'm just going to back them to edge it 2 1. So I've got one draw and a Stoke win. Okay, moving on to Saturday's evening kickoff now on his fourth from bottom versus fourth from top as Bournemouth hosts Manchester United. Pascal has been a massive week for both clubs. I think we'll give Bournemouth the honour after that historic victory over Chelsea. Yeah, so, so impressive in that game. It's not like they went to Stamford Bridge, you know, got absolutely battered and then nicked a goal at the end. I mean, they did nick a goal at the end through uh, the substitute Glenn Murray, but the rest of the game, in the first half especially, they were so, so impressive. You know, we wondered last season, I mean, in the Championship, they played such good football last season and, you know, the first few months of the season, even, you know, they're still there in 17th, but they haven't really translated that good football quite into wins in the Premier League. But last week against Chelsea, they were so, so good the way they were just pinging pinging the passes around, you know, when you look to both lineups and you see the sort of players that Chelsea have, you know, Fabregas, Azar, those kind of players, and you compare that to the squad that Eddie Howe's got with Bournemouth, but the football Bournemouth were playing was just superb. Some of the chances they created in the first half, Stanislas uh, went close on two occasions, I think. He was very unlucky not to score. And then Chelsea, you know, they had the odd spell here and there, but they didn't actually really test uh, Arthur Boris all that much in the Bournemouth goal. And then uh, the, the the goal Bournemouth did get, you know, it was a little lucky the way it sort of broke Murray's way, and it looked for a minute like he might be offside. But I think the linesman did just about make the right call, and I th- I thought Bournemouth fully deserved the three points there. I mean, they definitely would have taken, you know, just a point going to Stamford Bridge, despite uh, you know Chelsea's troubles this season. But to get a win uh, like they did, they're absolutely huge, and I was so so impressed with the way Bournemouth played. And you still got to remember they've got all these key players out injured, and for them to go and keep a clean sheet at Stamford Bridge, albeit against the Chelsea side that are nowhere near as good as they were last season. But it, it was I was really, really impressed. Yeah, Eddie Howe labelled it the best result in the club's history after the game and we probably have to agree with him. It was an absolute, absolutely huge result for the, for the club and especially for the season, the position they were in, languishing in the relegation zone. It was beginning to get quite hard to see how they were going to climb out of it, particularly you didn't expect them to do it at Stamford Bridge, but to end a nine-game winless streak in all competitions at Stamford Bridge, they couldn't have wished for a better way to do it, really. First clean sheet in ten games as well, so climb out the relegation zone in that style just makes it all the sweet to that victory. Of course, they are still 17th. They're, they're only out of the relegation zone on goal difference with Newcastle level on points with them, so they're by no means um, out of danger yet, but... You know, it's, they'll take huge confidence from that victory, knowing that they can now beat the big boys. 
they need to sort out a few aspects still they've won only one of their seven Premier League home games this season and that was against Sunderland who are down in 19th a point behind Bournemouth they've got the worst defence in the table joint with Newcastle having conceded 30 uh, goals so far this season in 15 games so there are still things to that they need to improve upon as the season goes on but that victory over Chelsea will go down in the club's history and might be so yeah, and I think one of the biggest things from the last sort of couple of weeks is that they've shown real fight. You know, at the end of games, at the start of the season, most of their goals. I think we had a stat last week. I think ten of their seventeen going into last week's game at Stamford Bridge, ten of their seventeen goals uh, had all come in the first half an hour of games. So, you know, they tend to start games better than they've ended them. But you know, last week against um, Everton, it were uh, it was wasn't it? You know, they scored three goals after the eighty-minute mark, and then getting the late winner. Uh, against Chelsea as well last week and they've shown some real fight uh, the last couple the last couple of weeks and that's something they certainly need to do if they're going to try and keep their head just above water there in 17th you know I think looking ahead to January you know we've we've talked enough about all the injuries they've got we know especially Callum Wilson you know that was the that was the big one when they lost him but if they can just keep fighting like this you know I mean, I mean the fixtures don't get any easier for them you know they've had Everton and Chelsea in the last two they've got obviously United here and then after that, five they play five of the top seven in the next six games after that. So it, it, the bad run really continues. But given how much confidence they should take um, from that win at Chelsea, coming back home to Dean Court, it should be good for them. And if they can just keep fighting like that, maybe get a few more late goals, a few more points, just keep themselves just above the bottom three going into January, which is going to be a big period for the club, whether they decide they need to bolster the squad to try and keep themselves as a Premier League club uh, come the end of the season. Because with all the injuries they've got we've already said many many times that we probably don't think that they'll have enough just because you know they've just lost so many key players I mean one that is due to return soon is captain uh, Tommy Elphick in defence and obviously you mentioned that they, they do have the worst defence in the league despite that clean sheet last season uh, along with Newcastle so when he comes back hopefully they'll be able to improve their defence a bit but it'll be interesting to see what they do in January Yeah they'll certainly be flying high coming into this game though and you've got to say the opposite is true of Manchester United a really a poor result really against Wolfsburg in midweek saw them crash out of the Champions League at the group stages only the fourth time this ever happened to the club in the history in their history it's only only English club not to progress to the last 16 of the Champions League all the others managed to get in although they they made a bit of hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Uh, um, bit of a pig's ear of it at times in the um, in the group stages likes of Arsenal Manchester City and Chelsea but they all managed to get in Manchester United arguably in the easiest group of the lot couldn't get through it's really disappointing I remember when the draw was made we had a discussion about how easy the group was and how United quite often um, get those favourable draws but to not get through that so disappointing that is, Van Gaal will be pretty confused about what the fans want now though because for so so many weeks there's there's been boos at the final whistle for the just boring football and United have not been enjoyable to watch but against Wolfsburg for once they were enjoyable to watch it was a good game but then they ended up on the losing side so you wonder what the fans really want would would they prefer to lose an entertaining 3-2 game or would they prefer to, another boring drab 1-0 victory there you'd have to assume the victory because they'll be in the next round of the Champions League but they need to find a way to to play exciting football and win. I don't know where that 3-2 um, 
really came from because United were they were really exciting it was probably their best attacking performance of the season so far um, really good display from them but didn't have enough in the end Wolfsburg got the victory which puts them into the last 16 in the Champions League for the first time in their history and you'd, I think the reaction to that game for a lot of fans would be those torn between the entertainment factor finally an enjoyable game to watch while watching Manchester United and the fact that they're not in the Champions League they're still not showing too much signs of progression under Van Gaal obviously in the Premier League they're a bit better placed but when you consider even in the Moyes era they got into the knockout stages of the Champions League questions should be asked of Van Gaal particularly with the amount of money he spent yeah definitely and it comes after at the weekend they, they hosted West Ham in the league and uh, we talked about West Ham's injury problems and I think they would have fancied beating West Ham there but you know, West Ham went very close uh, in that game scoring they, they hit the post twice and United they had a couple of good moments but in the end another 0-0 draw that's 8-0-0 draws they've had in all competitions in 2015 it's the highest tally for a calendar year in 10 years and we've still got a few games left to play this year so they could set a new record um, you know one of their, mo- one of their you know, uh, most amount of nil-nils in a year so it's been like you said it has been very boring the game against West Ham not good enough left them fourth in the table only three points uh, behind Leicester at the top and when you actually look at their sort of recent Premier League record it hasn't actually been too bad they've only lost two of the last 18 Premier League games they're unbeaten in seven in the league as well so it, that, that reads well and you know they're still not that far off the top but the thing is now they've gone out of the Champions League they did finish third in that group so they go through to the Europa League and uh, we all know in the past how many managers have said about playing in the Europa League can really damage uh, your domestic form you know the Thursday night games don't seem to sit as well as playing on Tuesdays and Wednesdays um, because it's Thursday Sunday instead of Wednesday Sunday or Tuesday Saturday so it'd be interesting to see how they treat the Europa League I mean going into it they they should certainly be one of the favourites to get it and it's whether Van Gaal thinks that if it could be a real detriment to their league, their you know their title bid, whether he'll sort of dismiss it maybe and maybe rest some players in the Europa League, or if he'll think this is a really excellent chance to win some European silverware. Be interesting to see what they do, and I think certainly looking you know more closer to uh, the present time, you know I think they definitely need six points out of six in the next couple of games. You know they they need to get a lift again. I mean Bournemouth here, uh, it's a very winnable game, and then they host Norwich uh, in the next Premier League game after that. So two games against you know two teams who were playing Championship football last season. They really need a lift. Yeah, they do. And I, th- I think it's going to be quite interesting to see what they do in January, to be honest. They've got a lot of injuries at the moment. And as we know, they've, the, the, their depth up front isn't very good at, um, either. I mentioned their best attacking performance of the season against Wolfsburg, but that was without Rooney as well. They had uh, quite limited options up front in that match. And the West Ham game you, um, you mentioned, they were a bit more attacking in that one. But the main problem stemmed from there was a stat 21 shots overall and only one on target so that tells you all you need to know really about United they just haven't been clinical enough in the final third but looking ahead to this weekend what's your score prediction for the game? Yeah it'd be interesting to see which who comes out on top because it is the worst defence against the best defence and I think Bournemouth they will try and play their stuff but you just wonder if United might shut them down a bit and I think if Bournemouth could get another win here it'd be absolutely huge to the club but I think United's sort of you know stubbornness you know especially after I mean Van Gaal would want to sort them out defensively after some of the goals they conceded in midweek and I think they might just be able to shut Bournemouth down and win 2-0 Yeah I agree with the Man United win it's going to be interesting to see how Van Gaal does put his team out fans will be desperate for an entertaining match as I mentioned but you know, I, I, I'm not sure I really see that coming in this game. I'm going to go for a Manchester United victory, a Manchester United clean sheet, but just by the one goal. So we've got one 1-0 victory and one 2-0 victory, both for Manchester United. Three games on Sunday this week, and the first of those sees Aston Villa take on Arsenal. 
Barnes will start with the Gunners in midweek. Huge, huge win for the club. Going to Olympiacos, winning 3-0 and scraping through in the Champions League. Yeah, absolutely massive victory for them. Obviously, after the opening two games, it looked as if they had no chance of getting through. They had the Bayern Munich double-headed to come after losing to Zagreb and Olympiacos. So it looked like Arsene Wenger might lose his record of having qualified for the Champions League knockout phases in every season. He's big manager at Arsenal, but somehow they managed to turn it around. Victory against Bayern Munich and then victories against Zagreb and Olympiacos. It really was a great escape in the Champions League. It would have been catastrophic for them really to go out in that group. They really should have always been in second place behind Bayern Munich. They made it very hard for themselves. But all that matters really is they got the job done in the end. And some of the football they were playing, you know, Olympiacos had a couple of scares here and there. But Arsenal, they deserved the win. And the, some of the passes, you know, Ozil for the first goal, Campbell for the for the second goal just some beautiful football and Arsenal have played a lot of that this season Urzo in particular is having a fantastic season and the star of the show last night has to be Giroud for his hat-trick his first ever hat-trick for Arsenal there's been a lot of questions about whether he is good enough to fire them to the title but he really came up chumps last night I think it doesn't quite answer the questions but he is he can get goals and he is in really good form this season he's, he's been in and out of the team at times but he does always seem to score at the moment so they have got a pretty prolific frontman in in the shape of Giroud at the moment. Looking ahead to who they could face in the Champions League, obviously finishing second makes things a little more difficult for them. They could they could get either Real or Barca or Atletico, any one of those three Spanish giants. Wolfsburg and Zenit perhaps kinder jaws, but they don't exactly have a history of getting kind jaws in this stage of the Champions League, so they may not hold out too much hope for that. But yeah, certainly a, a massive victory for them, morale boosting and just what they needed. Yeah, and it came. I mean, you mentioned Giroud there. Obviously, a great hat trick from him and. He also, well, on Saturday against Sunderland, he scored an own goal and a goal at the right end as well. So he's, he's finding the net, whichever end it is at the moment, in that uh, 3-1 win over Sunderland it was. And you mentioned Campbell there. His pass for Giroud's second was sensational in that Olympiacos game. And that was the goal that obviously gave Arsenal the two-goal cushion they needed. So then once once they scored that goal, then Olympiacos had to chase the game. And Campbell, he was on the score sheet against Sunderland. So was Aaron Ramsey. Ramsey seems to be... He's going to be a key player for Arsenal in the next few weeks with the likes of... You know, there's a lot of players out injured at the moment. So... Be interesting to see, you know, how, how if Ramsey can keep this form up. But as for Giroud, you know, he's like you said, he's been, you know, finding the net very easy recently, and he'll he'll really, you know, fancy his chances against Aston Villa here as well because he's scored in each of his last four Premier League games against them. So things are all looking good for Arsenal. You know, that win last weekend took them second in the table, which uh, obviously a big result there. And certainly, I think through in the Champions League, sitting second in the table, it's not all looking as bad as it was, say, you know, a week or so ago when uh, they could only draw at Norwich, you know, Sanchez went off injured, they've lost Coquelin, uh, Welbeck's still out injured, you know, they had all these injuries and all the doom and gloom and suddenly things are looking okay again. Yeah, they are and certainly um, going into this match they have the um, prospect of going top of the table with a victory. They could start the match as low as fourth if the two Manchester Cubs do the business uh, beforehand before Arsenal play but Leicester don't play until Monday and they've got a fairly tricky tie against uh, Chelsea in that game so no guarantees for Leicester to win that and a victory for Arsenal here would really put the pressure on the Foxes and would if they can win and Leicester slip up it would put the Gunners top of the table which is obviously a huge thing and will cement them as genuine title contenders in the minds of many people a lot no team is really taking control of the title race at the moment and Arsenal perhaps if they have a good run it's usually though in January when the season starts to fall apart a bit November and January historically they have a bit of a wobble it happened in November this year if they can avoid it in January then get a bit of consistency then they might start being able to get away from the pack a bit because as I mentioned none of the other teams have really um, taken the title race 
by the horns and taken control of it and that was particularly to last weekend you mentioned Arsenal's victory over Sunderland that was doubly big because the likes of Man City United Tottenham Liverpool even Palace and West Ham and the teams directly below them they all dropped points it was an absolutely huge victory for Arsenal stole a march on many of the teams Leicester were the only other team in and around them in the table to actually win as well so absolutely huge victory it was and I think you know they'll now go to Villa here who are bottom of the table we all know they're struggling, you know, very badly. And Arsenal, you know, away from home, they've been pretty good. Leicester actually have the best away record this season after that 3-0 win they had at Swansea last week. But Arsenal have only lost two of their last 14 Premier League away games and that does not bode well for a Villa team who are 14 games without a win now. It's the longest winless uh, league run in, in the club's history. They were formed back in 1888. That's 127 years of club history and this is the worst league run in their history. So it's just... Yeah, it's astonishingly dreadful, really, how, how bad they have been. But when you actually, on the face of it, look at last week's result... Uh, they go to Southampton, who we know are one of those sides in that sort of cluster between sort of sixth and twelfth. Who there's not much to separate those teams, and they got a one-all draw there, so it, it doesn't read too badly. But you know, Remy Gard is still waiting for his first win. They're still bottom of the table now, seven points from safety as well, because you know Bournemouth and Newcastle both getting wins last week. So the the situation for Villa is very very bleak, and that game against Southampton, I think they might feel it. It's a bit of a missed opportunity, you know, Lescott. Uh, gave them the lead with that scrappy goal in the first half and then you know Southampton's goal was a, a very similar one at the same end uh, Romeo came on uh, and got the goal for them to get it back to one all and maybe a bit of a missed opportunity but I think those aren't the games going to a place like Southampton where you know they tend to be stronger Southampton than uh, away from home I don't think they're the kind of games that are going to keep Villa up this season if they do stay up so point in the end probably okay but like I said the fact that this is uh, the worst league run in their history is just is staggering really yeah and their home form as well you could come up with figures it's their worst home record or matches their worst home record since 1921 and 1987 no wins in 8 home league games at the start of the um, stretching back to the end of last season as well so it is historically bad that their run of form at the moment is really, really poor. Still looking, as I mentioned, for the first, they're the only team in the league not to win at home this season. They've only picked up two points in front of their own fans and scored five goals, which is it's really, really bad, really dreadful. And when you consider their home form is, they would hope, the main source of points for them to, to try and stay in the division. They That simply has to improve. The fixtures do get a little better after this. They've got um, three big games coming up against Newcastle, Norwich and Sunderland. All of them do come away from home. They've got West Ham at home um, in the middle of that on Boxing Day. So they've got a big run of fixtures coming up. And if they can get some points against Newcastle, Norwich and Sunderland, which are all in the bottom five with them, then perhaps they can start looking at safety. But right now, to be honest, it's not looking good for them and it's hard to see a way out. Yeah, I think they'll certainly be looking ahead to those games to come. You know, at the end of the year and going into January. But as for this game, you know they've not beaten Arsenal in 16 Premier League games at Villa Park, losing nine of those. It, it, I don't think many people will be picking them to win this one. How many do you think Arsenal win by? Yeah, well, yeah, I can't see that change, and I can see a pretty comfortable win for Arsenal. I don't, I don't think it will be a rout, but it'll be pretty comfortable. I think I'm going to go for two 0 to Arsenal. Yeah, I can't really see Villa scoring to be honest. I think Arsenal they look fairly solid defensively at the moment I mean they gave Sunderland a couple of opportunities last week but I think Sunderland you know they've they've been doing quite well themselves under Allardyce and much better than Villa have in recent weeks and I think just Arsenal they should, I mean the, the form Giroud's on we've talked about that his record against Villa is great so I think Arsenal should win this very comfortably 3-0 so both picking Arsenal to win this one OK on to Anfield where Liverpool take on West Brom Pascal we've got to start with the home side a shock 2-0 defeat to Newcastle last time out 
Yeah, really surprising, wasn't it? Because in midweek, they put six past Southampton at St Mary's, played you know, some electric stuff in that game, and everyone thought they'd go to Newcastle, who we know are one of the struggling sides down there, and maybe you know put a lot of goals past them. I think I predicted it, it to be a 4 1 win, but they couldn't even score, and you know, just one shot on target in that game as well. It was a really surprisingly bad performance there, and I mean, they, they, I mean, it's not that like uh, Newcastle exactly created lows themselves. They also only had one shot on target. You know, it was two 0 win, but the first goal was an own goal from Skirtle. He's you know scored many own goals throughout his Liverpool career now. But you know, they it, Liverpool can feel a bit hard done by certainly because they did score a very good goal. Uh, Moreno, you know, it was a fantastic first time side footed volley finish over Rob Elliott into the far corner. Flag did go up, and replays show that it wasn't even a particularly close decision. He was clearly onside and. I mean, you, the, the Newcastle players might argue they saw the flag and maybe stopped a little bit, but I don't think I'm not sure Elliot would have. He he definitely was alert to the shot. He I think he put all his effort into that. Jan Matt sort of stopped the defender who was covering him, but Elliot definitely didn't see the flag. He tried to save it, and it was a fantastic finish. They were unlucky there, and then obviously they go and push uh, to try and get the equaliser and Wijnaldum. Great finish on the break later on to seal the win. And for Newcastle, it was just a an absolutely massive win for them, but. Uh, from a Liverpool perspective, really, really su- a surprisingly, you know, flat performance given just how well they did play in midweek in that League Cup game against Southampton. Yeah, and how well they've been playing away from home under Klopp so far with the wins against Chelsea, Man City, and then uh, Southampton as well. To lose two 0 to Newcastle was just came out of the blue, really. And another one thing that didn't come out of the blue was another Sturridge injury this week. <laughs> just as he came, just as he came back, he got two goals, obviously, against Southampton, but then. He's injured again now, hamstring. Looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the year. Liverpool did say it wasn't as bad as first feared, so hopefully it's not another lengthy spell on the sidelines for him. But it's it's likely he'll miss the the busy festive period, which is such a huge blow for Liverpool. He he scores every time he comes back, but his comebacks just never last long enough. And he's now missed as many games injured for Liverpool as he's played for Liverpool. I think it's around sixty eight or sixty nine, which is just it's a terrible record, really. And it's, it's so harsh on the player because he's he's such a good player he knows where the goal is he saw in that season a couple of years ago with Suarez just how good he is when he can stay fit and Liverpool I think they would certainly have put in stronger challenges for the top four in the last few uh, last last season and so far this season had they had him fit available so it's it's really harsh on club and the player himself the positive is that Coutinho should be back for this weekend we're, we're filming this uh, we're recording uh, yeah recording this before the Europa League match against Sion in midweek Coutinho is in that squad he's unlikely to start but he should get a few minutes Liverpool already threw in that just need a draw to clinch top spot in the group so it's unlikely that Klopp will risk him from the start in that match but he should get a few minutes coming on and I'd expect him to start against uh, West Bromwich Albion he's got a fantastic record recently in the Premier League scored four in his last three Premier League appearances and he was on fire uh, before he got injured so it'd be a big boost to get him back but the storage blow is a huge one it is because Liverpool generally this season they haven't really scored enough goals they've only scored 18 in 15 league games they, you know, they're the only team with less than 20 uh, goals this season in the top 9 so they haven't really done enough in front of goal I mean obviously they did put 6 past uh, Southampton in that League Cup game you know, 4 at Man City but even with those 4 at Man City in the league they've still only got 18 You know, only just above uh, 1 goal a season uh, 1 goal per game this season so that's where they really need to improve obviously the injuries haven't helped you know, Origi got that hat-trick against Southampton, but he hasn't really looked quite cut out for the Premier League yet. Benteke's had his injury rose as well. We know all about that. And I think you mentioned earlier that they've had some really impressive results away from home if you ignore that uh, defeat at Newcastle. But at home under Jurgen Klopp, it hasn't quite been the same. They've had three league games at Anfield under Klopp. 
Uh, they've only scored three goals in, in those games, one in each of those. They've won one, uh, which they beat Swansea 1-0. We know that Swansea have been all over the place the last sort of 10 games or so. They've, they've since sacked Gary Monk and uh, they drew at Southampton in his first game and then lost um, 2-1 against Palace in their other game. So I think uh, they, they, there's been some scintillating performances, you know, namely the two against City and Southampton in recent weeks. But we, so far we haven't seen anything even close to that at Anfield and I think this game, they'll certainly want to do something like that, but it's going to be a tough ask against West Brom. Yeah, but they will come into the match as heavy favourites, despite West Brom getting a good draw against Tottenham. We know how well Tottenham have been playing all season so far. They've been really consistent, so to get a draw in that game is a really good result for them. Obviously, Ali scores for Spurs with a, a fantastic volley, a really good finish that one. And then McLean gets the equaliser to come away with the point, and it's been a tough period for fixtures of West Brom, but they've done really well so far, particularly in the last three games. The last five games have actually been against Leicester, Manchester United, Arsenal, West Ham and Tottenham which is five of the top seven and then they've got eighth place Liverpool here so it's a really tough run of fixtures but they've unbeaten in the last three against Arsenal, West Ham and Tottenham they've picked up five points in that time which is a good record and should give them confidence going into this match um, against Liverpool and so far this season they're in 13th place but they're after 15 games of the Premier League season they've only had more points on one occasion back in 2012-13 when they're doing really well with 26 points on the board so historically it's, a, it's been a good season for them so far they will probably want to push um, up towards those that top half maybe 10th and 11th but so far it's been it's been pretty decent for West Brom It has been yeah and you mentioned that they've had that really sort of tough run of fixtures the last few weeks but Obviously, a trip to Anfield here, despite you know Liverpool not playing all that well at Anfield in recent weeks, is a really tough game for them. And then after this, they've got quite a nice run to end the year. They, they have Bournemouth at home, they go to Swansea, and then they've got Newcastle at home. So two home games against two of the bottom four. Swansea away from home, they're in the bottom six, I think it is. So they're, they're three very winnable games after this. So if they can get another point here, maybe stay unbeaten, and then go into that run of games with the aim of you know getting some wins to really propel themselves up towards the top half, be very impressive if they can do that and away from home as well they've been you know Tony Pulis's teams you know they, they never make it easy for you away from home a bit of a cliche but it's completely true and you look at their recent record uh, in the Premier League they've won five and lost only three of their last Premier League away game, uh, last 11 Premier League away games so it's a, it's a pretty solid record from them and the way things are going for them you know being able to hold teams you mentioned you know beat teams like Arsenal hold teams like Spurs in recent weeks it's the sort of form that's it just makes you think that West Brom aren't going to be one of the real contenders for relegation this year. You can't see them pushing anywhere near, say, maybe the top eight, but they look like a very safe mid-table bet. And what's your score prediction for this weekend? Yeah, I think Liverpool, you know, they, they've obviously got the game on Thursday in the Europa League, which they're going to be potentially maybe a bit tired from uh, having played there. But I think I think the fans, uh, they, they are waiting for this, you know, brilliant performance at home under Klopp. You know, they, they haven't really seen that at Anfield yet, but to be honest, I don't really see it coming here. I think they might just nick it, but I think West Brom will make it difficult and I'm going to go for a 2-1 home win. Yeah, I don't think that Thursday's Europa League game will have a, as big an effect as some of the ones, such as the away trip to Ruben Kazan. They've they've rested a few players, likes of Lucas, Alan Moreno, stayed home, Ibe's ill for the trip, so he won't be travelling with the team. And then, the likes of Coutinho, you'd expect only to play a bit part. You'd expect a lot of the youngsters to play with Liverpool already guaranteed a place in the last 32. So I'm not sure, and it's, obviously it's not the furthest trip to Switzerland either, so I'm not sure that will play have too much of a bearing on this match. And I'm going to go for a home win as well here. I'm going to go for 2 now. So we're both going for Liverpool victories here. And lastly on Sunday, we go to White Hart Lane for Spurs against Newcastle. Barnes will start with the visitors this time. A really impressive 2-0 win over Liverpool on Sunday. 
Yeah, it came out of the blue, really, didn't it? No one expected that one to come. Liverpool went into that on the back of some fantastic away performances, beating Chelsea, Man City and Southampton all pretty convincingly. So for Newcastle to come away with a 2-0 win there and keep Liverpool to a clean sheet was a fantastic result for them. A, a good performance, much improved, particularly in terms of the hunger they showed and the appetite they showed to actually win the match and play for the team, which had been lacking and was severely criticised, particularly in the two games immediately prior to that, the 3-0 home defeat to Leicester and then 5-1 defeat to Crystal Palace. Just shocking displays and defensively they were all at sea during those games. So to keep that clean sheet and to put in a good committed performance against Liverpool and pick up the three points crucially was a fantastic way back um, way to respond for Steve McLaren's side. They are still in the relegation zone in trouble. Only in the relegation zone on goal difference now because Bournemouth obviously got a um, surprising win at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea as well and Sunderland uh, lost against Arsenal so they leapfrogged their northeast rivals in the table so there's still work to be done at Newcastle but it was a huge victory for them and if they can build on that they did get a, they did get um, quite lucky with the first goal you've got to say that was Skirtle's own goal and then Moreno wrongly having a goal disallowed so luck was on their side but perhaps McLaren feels that they deserve that luck has deserted them a few times this season they finally got the stroke of luck and they'll be hoping that can act as a platform to build on now and move up the table yeah, absolutely, and I think even I mean it was very impressive that they did uh, keep Liverpool at bay, like you said. But even with that clean sheet, no team has conceded more this season. They conceded thirty goals in fifteen games, obviously an average of two a game. And going forward, they did get two in that game, but only three teams have scored fewer than Newcastle sixteen. So both ends of the pitch, there's still plenty to work on if they are going to sort of get out of the mire this season. And I think that was obviously you know the atmosphere that day. It was the only game on Sunday. You know a lot of eyes would have been on that game, and the atmosphere at St James's was fantastic. And I think certainly you could see the Newcastle players, like like you mentioned, they really did seem very up for it. You know, every time that they won a corner, you know, you could see the players like signalling to the crowd, you know, come on, really get into this. And I think Liverpool, they did struggle a bit to deal with the atmosphere there. It was very hostile with Newcastle. They really got the fans on side with the way they, they were playing. And so very impressive at St James's, but away from home, you know, Newcastle, they've been pretty atrocious in the last sort of, you know, this season and then uh, last season as well. They've got the worst away record in the league this season, only four points and three goals in seven games. And then, if you look at the last 14 away games they've had in the Premier League, they've lost 11 of those, scored only five and conceded 35. So that is obviously a goal, a goal difference of minus 30 in those games. And that's just you know not good enough. I mean, as a team like Newcastle, when you've got a stadium like St James, it's you know, one of the best stadiums in the country. You're always going to expect to pick up more points at home than away from home. But there's no way you're going to get anywhere near to mid-table if, if, if you play like this away from home. And with that record... They have to improve that if they're going to stand any chance of, you know, maybe pushing up towards mid-table. Because if they keep going like this, they're definitely going to be there thereabouts in the relegation fight come the end of the season. Yeah, it's hard to see them getting up to mid-table at this stage of the season, really, because they haven't shown enough for me to suggest that they can get up to the likes of, you know, the Stokes and Southampton who are around there now. But that's what happened last time. They had they made such a poor start to the season. They finished eleventh last time. They had this few points at, um, after 15 games of the season which was back in 1999-2000 season so there is history for them improving as the season goes on and climbing up the table and finishing fairly comfortably positioned but for me I, I don't really see that happening this season they they do have quality in their squad I think they're good enough to avoid relegation Van Alden in particular has impressed me since coming in and he was the one who got the second goal against Liverpool obviously and created the first um, off Skirtle for the own goal so he's got the quality and a few others have got the quality I think to help them avoid relegation but I think mid-table will be a bit beyond them what they need to do is once they get in the lead as they did against Liverpool 
they need to they need to protect that lead because you can't afford to be scoring goals and then letting leads slip. They've dropped ten points from winning positions this season, which is joint most in the league, along with Aston Villa, who are obviously also down there in the relegation zone. So that's an area they need to improve. But again, they'll be looking to build on that, and things have been improving over the last few weeks, with the exception of those the, that Leicester and Palace defeats, which were dreadful. They have. Um, they have beaten Bournemouth recently they've beaten Liverpool obviously they kept a clean sheet against Stoke so there are signs that they might be able to carry on picking up a few points as they go and start climbing up the table slowly but surely yeah so Newcastle signs of you know a bit of life but very very inconsistent the last few weeks and the same certainly can't be said of Spurs who have been you know just very very solid all season long they lost on the opening day at Old Trafford but since then still unbeaten uh, since the opening day and Last last weekend, you know, they, it was a missed opportunity last weekend with um, you know, a lot of teams in the top half, like we've said before, dropping points last weekend. And Spurs were one of those to drop points. They had a one-all draw at West Brom. Never an easy game going to West Brom. And but I think the way Spurs were playing, they would have fancied it there, and they took the lead. Uh, Deli Ali coming back, he was suspended the week before, uh, but came back into the side and scored a great goal. I mean, Alderweireld with the ball over. So I think West Brom certainly. You never want to get beaten with a ball, you know, ball from inside the opponent's half that gets launched over the top. And Ali was able to take it on the volley inside the box. So either the defence should have been deeper, maybe the keeper should have had a better starting position uh, to be able to come in and intercept that. But Ali did get there. It was, you know, it's, it's never easy taking the ball out of the sky. He didn't exactly connect, you know, amazingly with it, but he just got it on target and it was a, it was a solid hit and a, a good goal for him. So he's obviously still in form. You know, he he had to miss that the week before because of suspension, but he came straight back into the team. No rustiness there at all and. Spurs, they couldn't quite build on it. Kane didn't have one of his best games in that one, and uh, the Baggies hit hit back before half time. Uh, James McLean with the header there, and I think Spurs, obviously Pochettino, he's, he would have wanted them to defend that better. But a draw at the Hawthorns certainly it's not the worst result, and like I said, it just kept that unbeaten run going since the opening day. Leaves them fifth in the table, and you know they'll certainly fancy. I mean, we've, I've already mentioned uh, Newcastle's terrible away record, and this is the sort of game Spurs think right back to winning ways here, and we'll be right there near the top four. Yeah, that result against West Brom, for me, that's pretty much the epitome of the reason Tottenham aren't among the, the front runners in the title race at the moment this season. They've they've dropped points too many times in drawn games. Yes, they're unbeaten, but they need to start turning those sorts of games into victories. They are still only three points adrift of the Manchester duo, four off Arsenal, and then six off the surprise leaders, Leicester. But when you consider they are unbeaten since the opening day, they really should be up there. I still consider them dark horses for the title. I think they've got a they've got a very well balanced team. They've got the flair of the likes of Ericsson, Lamella. They've got the goal scoring talent of Kane, and they've got the grit really of the, like the likes of Dyer um, in in defensive midfield now. And at the back, they've got a really solid unit. They've actually conceded most fouls and picked up the most yellow cards in the league this season. So I, I wouldn't look at that really as a disciplinary problem. I think it's more that they they can. Get get down and dirty when they need to with other teams in the league. They've they've got the quality with the likes of Ericsson as I mentioned to outplay teams, but they've also got the fight in there to outfight teams as well. And with the likes of Bentaleb coming back, he's in the squad for Thursday's Europa League game against uh, Monaco. He's another player who can really help him in that respect. And I think they do have the tools throughout the team. They've got a nice blend, a nice mix to push for the title. But they need matches like that West Brom game. They need to turn those into wins. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and I think. They'd obviously fancy themselves to win this one, even with Newcastle's you know tremendous result last weekend. Which way do you see this one going? Yeah, I'm going to back a Tottenham win here. Newcastle, I think that made a bit of flash in the pan against Liverpool. Liverpool didn't play particularly well, but Tottenham generally have played pretty well um, in recent weeks. So I'm going to go for a three-one Tottenham win. 
Yeah, I, I can't see Newcastle scoring personally. I think they were, it, they did really well against Liverpool last week, but they still only did have that one shot on target on the break in the 90th minute or whenever it was from Wijnaldum. So it's not like they still created all that many good chances. And going to White Hart Lane, we know you've met, you've talked about the balance and solidity that Spurs seem to have. A very combative team this season. I think Newcastle won't be able to live with that, and I think Spurs. I think a two-goal margin as well, but I don't think Newcastle will score, so I'm going to go for a two-nil Spurs win. So, both picking Spurs to win this one fairly comfortably. Monday night's game this week sees the league leaders in action with Leicester hosting Chelsea. Pascal will start with the visitors, lost at home to Bournemouth one-nil last time out in the Premier League. Yeah, shocking result, wasn't it? They've had so many this season. I think Bournemouth went into that game. I think they were without a win in ten games going into that. I oh, know maybe nine actually. And uh, for them to lose one 0 not score against you know a newly promoted side, you know it's, it's the first time they've lost at home to a newly promoted side in 14 years. I think Charlton did it back in 2001, but for them to do that, not score, not even create that many good chances to be honest. They had a lot of possession, I think about 65% of the ball, but they didn't really do much with it. Just another really poor display this season. Leaves them 14th in the table. Just they're so far off the pace now, and you know when you actually look at the table, where because they're playing last this weekend on Monday night. They're only two points clear of the relegation zone as it stands, and I mean it's, it's unlikely. But if results go badly against them, they could actually be in the bottom three going into this game, which is, you know, it's 15 games into the season. They're the, they're the defending champions, and for them to be in this situation, it's just it's just horrendous, really. And you have to say about Bournemouth in in that game last Saturday night that you know they were the ones, in, especially in the first half, taking it to Chelsea whenever they got the ball. They were looking to press forward. They were looking for the forward pass as quickly as they possibly could. Uh, neat one-twos. You know, they, I think Stanislas went close on a couple of occasions. Courtois was back, and he did make a couple of good saves. Courtois, and I think it's, it's obviously a big bonus to get him back, and he, he couldn't really do much about the goal. There was a hint of offside about it. You know, it was very hard to tell. There was a lot of bodies in there. Uh, Glenn Murray uh, eventually stuck it in, but it's you know good to see Courtois back. But at the other end of the pitch, you know, Costa didn't start came on uh, at half time didn't do anything got, got his customary booking you know it's the same in midweek he had that instant with Casillas in midweek I don't know what he's playing at you just wonder like you've got a player like that why when he's on form he can be a very very dangerous player but surely Chelsea could have come to the end of their t- you know end of their tether with him it's just it's just not worth the hassle I don't think a player like that and that all those kind of things have all contributed to what's been a one of you know one of the worst title defences that you know we can remember in sort of any league you know it's been so so bad this season and yeah, that were. They obviously need to bounce back, but you know they now go to the league leaders who have been you know brilliant this season. Leicester, a complete contrast to Chelsea. Yeah, they did bounce back in some respect in midweek with a win over Porto, and not just a win, a good good performance as well. They went into that match only needing a draw to progress because the way the head-to-head worked in the three-way tussle between them, Porto, and Dynamo Kiev. But they there was no chance of them just settling for the draw. They really went for that one, both on and off the ball. It was really positive, bright performance. The appetite was there for Chelsea, and they certainly didn't look like a team who there was talk beforehand that Mourinho, if they lost that match, he might be gone if they missed out on Champions League knockout um, stages. But they didn't look like a team who had lost faith in their manager. They certainly fully behind them. And the same applied for the fans as well. That Mourinho's name rang around the stands on a number of occasions at Stamford Bridge in that match. So there's still everyone at the club seems to be behind Mourinho. We mentioned that it has been terrible. Um, domestically in particular but in the Champions League they have generally been better and that was the case on Wednesday night they qualified for the last 16 as group winners it was, um, they did get a bit lucky with their opening goal Costa was played through on goal Casillas denied him and then the ball bounced back off Marcano and then just about crossed the line it was actually official behind the goal who never seems to do anything but he gave the goal 
um, this time around. A good decision from him in the end because neither the linesman or the referee were initially going to give it. So it was a bit lucky in the way they took the lead, but they certainly deserved the lead. They certainly deserved the win. William got the second goal, which which pretty much put the game beyond Porto. They needed then, with Kiev leading Maccabi in the other game, they, Porto needed to score three goals without reply in the last 35 minutes or so, which... It, was, it never really looked like happening. They threw caution to the win, which made which opened things up for Chelsea. And in the end, Chelsea probably should have won by more than they did. Hazard hit the post. I think the only thing missing from the victory in the end was a goal for Hazard. He still hasn't scored this season. And maybe a goal for Costa as well. You mentioned Costa's antics there. But on the whole, he had a good game in midweek on Wednesday. He His runs off the ball were good. He created space and he made a nuisance of himself, as he always did, but didn't cross the line, really. The Casillas incident aside... He did have a good game for them, so that would be a positive. He seems to be starting to find form. Hazard was again a danger, with despite not scoring. So there were plenty of positives to come out from midweek. The main one, obviously, being qualifying for the Champions League knockout phases, but the uh, the performance and the manner in which they played for Mourinho, pretty much on what could have been his last game in charge of the club against his former club, it would have been ironic if that um, if. Porto had ended his tenure at Chelsea, his second tenure at Chelsea, but that didn't happen. It was a good performance, and uh, they'll, they'll feel a lot more positive going into this game than they would have perhaps without that midweek match. Yeah, you could say that, but the thing is, all that hard work in midweek, winning the Champions League group, it won't really mean anything if they go and lose again uh, this weekend in the Premier League. And you know where they're sitting at the moment, you know it's it's their worst start to Premier League season since ninety three ninety four, and they had thirteen points after fifteen games and. You look at their their form. You know, we've, they've had some really you know staggering defeats at home this season, like the one uh, to Bournemouth last week. But away from home, only the bottom three have amassed fewer away points this season uh, than Chelsea away from home. They've only won one game in the last eight, and it's it's just not good enough. And you wonder that against the Leicester team, who have you know been scoring freely, they've got Vardy and Mares there. Uh, and Chelsea, the stats say that you know no team has allowed more shots on target from inside the box than Chelsea this season. So you just think that. When they go to the King Power Stadium, nighttime game, Leicester are going to be really up for this. You think that if Chelsea continue to give away that many chances, then the form that you know uh, Vardy and Mares have been in in recent weeks, they're going to struggle to beat Leicester here because Chelsea simply haven't been good enough in the league this season. The Champions League, they're through fair enough, and obviously if they if they go on to win the Champions League, no matter where where they finish in the Premier League, then they're going to get in it again next year. So that's probably going to be the only way they do. You know, get back into the Champions League because a top four finish looks well out of their grasp at the moment. And the problem is, though, in the next round of the Champions League, any of the teams that finish top of their group will want to face Chelsea because you look at the group Chelsea had. You know, Maccabi in that group, they're probably the weakest team in the whole group stage, and then Kiev and Porto, the others. It wasn't exactly the strongest group. And I mean, Chelsea could still draw PSG and Juventus in the next stage. They both finish second in their group, and if they get a draw like that, you'd be really hard pressed to imagine Chelsea to go through, really. Yeah, you mentioned Chelsea's defensive record there. That certainly has improved in recent weeks. They've only conceded one goal in the last five games, now four clean sheets in that one. So that is improving. But yeah, overall, it just hasn't been good enough this season. And defensively, every team has struggled against Leicester so far this season. They've been so good in attack. We've talked about Mahrez and Vardy time and time again. And we just have to do it again because Mahrez scored the hat-trick against Swansea, beat them 3-0 on Saturday, ended up being Gary Monk's last game in charge of Swansea. And it was a, another fine performance from Leicester. Mahrez stole all the headlines from Vardy. Everyone was, all eyes were on Vardy to see if he could uh, score for a 12th game in succession. Already broken the Premier League record. I think that would have equaled the top flight record uh, of 12 games had he scored that. And he had he had one particularly good chance to do so, but saw a shot saved on that occasion. 
but Mar has stepped up. It has been those two more than anyone else really stepping up for Leicester. You wonder what might happen if either of them drop in form, but that doesn't seem like happening at the moment. And, you know, the two points clear at the top of the table after 15 games. It, if this goes on much longer, we do have to start considering them as serious title contenders because they don't look like losing. They don't look like ending this run at the moment. It's a fantastic run they've been on. And I mentioned Mahrez and Vardy stealing the headlines, but one player who's caught my eye in recent weeks is Kante in midfield. He's sort of come out the blue and he's made more interceptions than any other Premier League player in history he's very, uh, in history sorry, this season and he's very good at breaking up the um, the attacks and then launching Leicester attacks he did that for one of the Mahrez goals against Swansea he's, he's been a fantastic performer to be honest all of the Leicester players have played really well this season it's just staggering how well they've done and it's in complete contrast to Chelsea really these two sides they would have been expecting to be in opposite positions going into this at this stage of the season than they are so Leicester just been flying at the moment compared to Chelsea who have suffered such a torrid season with eight league defeats already. Yeah, and I think what you were saying there about when do we start considering Leicester to be proper t- title challenges, for me, last week was kind of like this, that you flick the switch. I think after that win last week, I know it was only against Swansea who have been in a re- having a real torrid time, but in my mind, uh, after that result, I just you just think that you have to. Leicester fully deserve to be considered as a title contender given the results they've had this season. They're top of the table after 15 games. Top scorers in the league with 32 goals. You know, anyone who says anymore that, you know, they're still going to drop out, that they're not a proper top four contender anymore, I think it's just unfair on Leicester because the way they've played, the results they've had, they fully deserve it. While so many other teams like Chelsea have been floundering and not getting the results they need, Leicester have been so consistent you know they've only had one defeat all season uh, one defeat in 18 games all season only two defeats in 27 they've won four of the last five all of these stats point to the fact that Leicester are a top four contender maybe a title challenger you know that is still it, that is still in, that's still far away you know that's, that's dreamland for Leicester fans you know the title that's but certainly I think they have to you have, they have to be considered in the conversation at least because to, to dismiss them as just having a, a decent start and they'll soon fall away is simply unfair because it's been 15 games now they're two points clear at the top and I, I just feel that anyone who doesn't consider them a title contender is just it really isn't fair on Leicester and I think that for them to be first uh, as they are maybe I mean there's still some tough games coming up I mean Chelsea at home even though Chelsea you know they're not playing well in the league it's still a tough game and they, they might drop off of course they could you know like you said Mahrez and Vardy might uh, get injured or maybe just have a, a drop in form but at the moment you can't see it happening and I, you, I think at this stage you just have to fully congratulate them and wish them the best of luck for the rest of the season because if they could you know cause a real upset and finish in the top four then it'd just be you know great for the league really yeah I think this spell coming up that they've got will perhaps answer once and for whether whether they are genuine title contenders as you mentioned Chelsea at home is not an easy game then they've got Everton and Liverpool away in successive matches and then Manchester City at home that's the last four games of 2015 so if they're still top or within touching distance of the top by the time 2016 starts we're going to have to consider them serious title contenders because they would have done it against all the big boys only lost to Arsenal in that time so yeah, as, as you mentioned, it is unfair on them not to consider them, certainly in the top four race as well, because they've been fantastic so far this season. Looking ahead to this weekend, though, which way do you see it going? Uh, yeah, like I said, I, I think Leicester have fully deserved all the credit they're getting, and I'm, I think given the way things are going, I'm going to back them to win. You know, they, They've had a really good rest. Chelsea, you know, they, they've had their European game, which is a big game for them in midweek, and I think Leicester... They'll come into this full of confidence. Like I talked about the nighttime game, it should be a fantastic atmosphere at the King Power, and I'm going to back them to win 2-1. Yeah, I'm finding this one quite a tough one to call. I've, got, I've just got a feeling Chelsea might turn on the style in this one. 
and get a result out of it. But you can't really back against Leicester at the moment, the form they're in. I can see I can see maybe a, an entertaining game, but I'm going to go for a, a share of the spoils. I think I'm going to go for two all between the two sides. So we're going for one Leicester victory and a draw. So that's all 10 games wrapped up for this weekend. Head over to sportsmall.co.uk for live coverage of each and every one, plus match analysis and player ratings. We'll be back for game week 17, which is the last one before Christmas, and is headlined by a massive game on Monday night between Arsenal and Manchester City. There's also a tasty tie between Everton and Leicester on the Saturday, while that day's evening kickoff sees a big battle at the bottom between Newcastle and Aston Villa. Look forward to seeing you then. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.